Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to see you all. Good to see you. No, I can't really see you on Zoom, though I trust in faith that you are there. Um, but um, it's good to see folks. Uh, thanks to Edwin and Rachel Baldelamar for bringing us the testimony this morning. Um, yes, thank you. You know, a lot of us were, were very grateful for, for Edwin, but now our gratitude overflows into not just Edwin, but also Rachel, as they both, every time they come here, uh, they never take that easy opportunity to just, you know, kind of sit things out in terms of giving to the church. They, they got here early to help clean. They uh, give their testimony. So thank you so much for being an example to us, Paul Delamars, uh, just to, in the faith. So um, in Luke, let's see, connection lost. Oh, we'll get that back. Oh, we got it back. In Luke chapter six is where we'll be. Luke chapter six, verse 37. I don't know about you, but Luke's been a lot of fun Um, and it will continue to be fun. And by the way, we've had between preaching on the uh, the old and new wineskins and having another. uh, I think someone else had brought up old old and new wineskins recently. And then the Baldelamars today, perhaps the Holy Spirit really wants that scripture to sink in for the Blue Ridge Church because uh, he keeps bringing it up. So but I appreciate that message once again. But as as Luke continues at the, the end of Jesus's incredible uh, sermon on the plain, this, this, this incredible lesson that he gives. It's probably the most challenging lesson that he does give. Um, and, and here he continues. The last time we talked about loving your enemies, which was really the one-two punch. It's the, it's, it's the first punch. It's the jab of what Jesus is trying to bring in this new community of Christians that will inhabit the earth. That, that cross punch is coming up today. So maybe you were able to withstand the jab But nobody withstands that cross. Here it comes. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus continues, Do not judge, and you will be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they both not fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log or plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does the bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. 
when a flood came and the torrent struck that house, it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed with a great crash. Title of my sermon today is Face Off. A lot of images today. Jesus saved them all for, the, for, for this sermon this day. He, he's got a lot of images, so therefore I will have a lot of images. You know, you got to preach the text, right? So I'm going to have a lot of images today because Jesus is rapid fire. If you thought you could withstand the first jab, it's not even just a cross now. He's like, it's like a flurry of body blows here. He's coming at us, right? To really make sure that we understand what he's trying to say. And I love in the Bible when you can feel Jesus trying to help us know something. He gives us a lot of explanations and a lot of examples. The reason I have a picture here of the two masks here, of a happy face and a sad face, is that Jesus uses a very important and interesting word. We've talked about it before. He says, you hypocrite. Now, the word hypocrite is a Greek word. In fact, the Jews did not have a, uh, a correlative word for hypocrite. Why? Because the Jews didn't uh, put on plays or movies or theater. The Jews didn't believe in it. The Greeks did. So when the Greeks come to Israel and they take, they take over the land, they begin to build these uh, theaters, these odiums where you sit and you can watch a play. And you put on the great Greek plays. Actually, when Jenny and I were in Sephoris, which is a, a town in Israel where Jesus probably worked as a stonemason, they actually rebuilt one of the theaters, one of the odiums. Uh, they call that because of the way the acoustics works. You, you, you speak into the, uh, the, the stone steps where people sit, and then the, wor- the, uh, the, the sound reverberates right back to you. You don't need any uh, microphones. It's all it's beautifully built. But anyway, Jesus, as he walks into Sephora day after day, is probably, probably witnessing plays. As a young man, 12-year-old Jesus, 17-year-old Jesus, coming in to be a stonemason, he probably sees uh, the Greek production, right, um, perhaps of Plato or, or Aristotle or uh, Sophocles, and he sees it, and, and, and the word for an actor is the word hypocrite. So Jesus says, you, you hypocrite, basically you actor. Oh, got to connect again. You actor, listen up. You know, and I think that, that, that it's interesting because that word was actually, the, the idea of an acting was opposed by a lot of people, especially Jews at this time. There's a, a Jewish philosopher named Philo. He's, he's a contemporary of Jesus's. And he says, my problem with the hypocrites, the hypocrites, the actors, my problem with the actors is they just, they hide the truth. And it bothered a lot of Jews to see actors because they are constantly hiding the truth. They would put on a mask and play a role. And it seemed to them, you know, like this is not very honest or straight, uh, straight up or, or truth worthy. And I began to think about Jesus's issue here. And we're going to get, try, to, try to pull out and tease out all what Jesus is saying in this text. But I think one of the things that we can definitely connect with right off the bat is this idea of playing a role. You know, our world is a world that cares a lot about uh, how we treat each other, but doesn't care a lot about your motive. You could be a, have a greedy heart. But if you serve the poor, it's like, well, at least look what he did. He served the poor. She, she could have a lustful heart, but if she doesn't you know, ever actually act on it, you know, or a greedy heart, or she could have a materialistic heart, but if she doesn't ever act on it, who really cares? 
you know, you see this a lot even with, um, you know, like young people and they have Instagram apps. They have filters, right? Take a picture of yourself. You don't like it, so you put a filter on it. And it actually makes you look a certain way. Uh, and, and so it's like you can actually hide your, the representation of yourself to the world. You know, think about uh, uh, a status on social media. or Think about when you uh, meet somebody or when you encounter somebody. And sometimes you get that feeling, right? Like you, maybe you have friends talk about somebody like, you know, maybe they're, they're not the greatest person or something or they have a temper. And then you meet them and you're like, they sure were nice, but maybe it was like 30 seconds of meeting them. Like anybody can really put on the right mask in the right moment and kind of fake it for long enough. But you know what we found out in 2020 is that you can only fake it so long. Because when there's pressure, when there's adversity, you can hide your feelings about politics or race relations or economics. You can hide those when things are well. But when pressure or adversity comes or fear, we start to see real people, don't we? And they're not so nice sometimes, right? And those people are often us. I've seen that in myself. Like, even this year, being more impatient or being more frustrated or being more fearful, being more concerned about what's going to happen. I, what, am I, what am I actually finding? I'm not finding that, oh, it's just this year really brought it out of me. No, that was there all along. This year is just brought it out. For out overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or what Jesus says here, a person says what the heart is full of. And it's so easy to just play Christian throughout the year. It's so easy to just play disciple, to act. Even now, we're, we're, a lot of us are just figuring out which mask we want to put on during the pandemic. What's our pandemic mask, right? It's easy now to, it's even easier to hide than it used to be. It's even easier to pull back. It's even easier to just not give anything and, and to kind of hide behind fears that were always already there anyway. And it's easy to just blame it on the pandemic or blame it on social issues or blame it on our job or blame it on finances. And those things are very real. I'm not saying they're not real. I'm saying they're, they're, they're not the, the problem. They expose the problem. And the problem is that our hearts are often full of rotten fruit. Who put it there? Stay tuned, right? <laughs> Who put it there? Who put that rotten fruit there? You know, the, the, the Face Off. There's an old movie. that's say old, like 1997, Face Off. Anybody seen that movie? Yeah. John Travolta, uh, Nick Cage. They change faces. Anyway, don't want to ruin the ending. But uh, if you haven't seen it, I guess it has been 23 years or something. So, um, But they change faces and no one can tell the difference. But after a while, you know what happens? They can tell the difference, right? Because you can, you can trade faces and people are like, oh, it's Nick Cage. But then after 20 minutes, you're like, that's actually John Travolta, I think. You know, like it comes out eventually. Our hearts come out eventually. But before we talk about that, and I guess it, it kind of overlaps with that idea. Jesus is trying to get across, like I said, the jab and the cross. The jab is love your enemies. And that's a hard one. Talked about that last time with Josh when we preached last time. The next one is non-judgmental generosity. This is the one-two punch of Christianity. This is the broad strokes. I have a painting there with broad strokes. This is, these are, this is the steak and potatoes of what Jesus is trying to get across. And Jesus is a little frustrated. Can you pick up on it? He's a little frustrated because people are focusing on the minutia instead of the general thrust of his message. They're focusing on the little details instead of the whole point. 
And Jesus is saying, listen, listen, guys, you're focusing on the speck in somebody else's eye instead of the log jetting out of your head. You're you're, you're getting too focused on other people's little detailed problems. I wanted to do a thought experiment today, but I thought it might go poorly. But I was going to say, think about someone who's hurt you recently and think about how how long did it take you? I got to be honest, it took me, it didn't take me very long. To think about some, some, someone or something that's hurt me. But if we broke off right now to, to, to make a sin list, to write down a list of all your sins you've committed this last week, how long would it take? Some of us, it takes a long... I've done it recently. We did it in a Bible study recently with some of the guys. We did a sin list, and it, it, t- it takes a while, doesn't it? You sit there and you go, huh, was that a sin? I don't know. Was that a sin? I guess. I suppose. I don't know. But that's who we are as people is we, we're experts in other people's sin. And then we have to sit down and write our own. It's, it's tough. It's tough sledding. It's difficult because it's, it's, it's something that is uncomfortable for us. Because I think we become, I think we get too comfortable with adjusting to the game. We begin to play church. We begin to, if you grew up in the church, you get really good at playing church. I was, I was like really good at playing church. Confessing just enough to get somebody off your back, but not actually being vulnerable about the sin. Saying code words like I I messed up recently instead of being honest about what messed up even means. Um, Picking my spot when I, you know, where I would sit and who I would talk to and avoid. I knew knew certain people would ask me about deep things. So I wanted to avoid the people that would be deep with me. Just, you know, and learn how to be, hey, how you doing? And learn how to play the game. I put the mask on and Jesus is like, no, Drew, you're missing it. You, you actor, who wrote your script? You know, it's amazing. When, you, when you're an actor, you have a script. The director gives you a script. And sometimes you can work with the director on the script, right? You can say, hey, on page six, you have me, you have me dying. Um, can, we, can we, you know, maybe I can die on like page 50, you know. But I got to die on page six, you know. But, but sometimes the director says, hey, that's, that's the story, right? Sometimes the director will say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll let you die on page 50, right? They'll work with you. But, but at the end of the day, you know who writes the script? It's the writers and the directors. It's the people in charge of the production. The actor doesn't usually write the script. In fact, some of the worst movies of all time are when the actors wrote the scripts, right? But we all, we all are not, we're not just living out random lives. You are, you are living a life. Today, you will make choices, as was shared earlier. You will make choices, but that, that, those choices are based on a script. Who is writing your script? Is it you? It's like, these are the decisions I'm going to make. This is what I'm going to do. Or is God directing your steps? Now, that's what Philo says about actors. Philo says, the problem I have with actors is that they don't act based on what God tells them to do. They act based on another script. Another, someone else is telling them how to act. And they'll do whatever it says on the script. Whatever it says. Who cares? Simply because the director wrote it. Actors will write, do whatever. God, it's getting worse, right? <laughs> do whatever they want to do just because it's on the stinking script that a person wrote. But yet Christians won't follow the script of our director, right? We, we argue a lot about, hey, on page four, you have me sharing my faith with a complete stranger. Can we talk through that? Can we uh, work that out? Because I, I don't like that one. You know, on page five, you have me forgiving her. Uh, can, we, can we get that out? You know, and sometimes, and maybe, maybe sometimes God has some wiggle room on stuff. God's not just this tyrant. But on other things, God's like, these are the brush strokes. Like, no, I'm not budging on forgiveness. I'm not budging on love. I'm not budging on mercy. I'm not budging on justice. 
These are the things that are important. These are God's character. Are we missing, are we missing the forest for the trees? Are we at the buffet eating the crackers, right? Like, are we, are we really getting what God is trying to do in our lives because we just got really good at the details? I'm really good at giving tithe. I'm really good at, you know, logging in to church or showing up at church. I'm really good at being there for as long as I need to be there. But how about your actions? You know, in this section, Jesus uses the word do five times. It's what you do. It's what you do. It's what you do. Two more. It's what you do. It's what you do. Jesus, it's some actions are important to Jesus. Because actions make a person, right? You are what you do. Um, that was a lot more clear pre-Freud. <laughs> Since Freud, right, we have psychoanalysis and, and counseling and therapy. And like, well, we've divorced our thoughts from our actions in the last hundred years. But for Jesus... All that works together. I'm not saying Freud is necessarily incorrect, but I'm just saying that those two things are not separate. You can't just focus on thoughts and not actions or actions and not thoughts. It all interconnects. And I think it's too easy for us in this day and age to say, let me just focus on my thoughts, but not actually do anything. Or if we do something, it is just simply for a social change. It's not actually a whole heart transformation. That's the other part of this that's, that's, that's challenging. Is a lot of therapists, and Jay Adams wrote a book called How to Help People Change. He's a Christian therapist. And he says a lot of the therapists today, especially Christian therapists, settle way too much for just like teeny tiny social improvement. Like my, social, my horizontal social relationships have gotten better. But there's, they've, they've given up on whole heart, whole being, holistic transformation. Because it's harder. It takes longer. It's more difficult. I think I had something there. Oh, here you go. But, this is what Jay says. But if that outward change does not involve a change of heart, a change of heart toward God, it creates a self-satisfied person who to that extent becomes a Pharisee. External changes that do not follow an internal change of heart toward God Always move a person further away from the Lord. Oh. So change that is socially good may be spiritually evil. Change that is socially good may be spiritually evil. If after you do it, you're self-satisfied. If God was not involved in it, it actually drives you further away from God. You know, our, our, our culture doesn't teach that. It teaches just do the social good. Who cares about the heart? Who cares about the motive? Who cares about everything going on in there? And we see over and over and over again that people, we have deep, deep hearts, don't we? Our hearts are deep waters like Proverbs says. We can't just be satisfied with a little social here, external there, surface here, shallow there. It is not enough. It's BBs off a tank. And it won't actually result in... The transformation of ourselves, it won't result in the transformation of the church or of the world. You know, here's a guy, poor fella. He's got that log sticking out of his head. You know, I think at some point it's easy. We know when we come to Christ and we go through those seeker Bible studies, some of you are in them now, so I, I went through them for a long time. In those seeker Bible studies, you know what's really nice? Is three other people are solely focused on you. <laughs> and they ain't letting you off the hook. And so it's really easy to be humble when you've got three people with the microscope on your heart. 
But then after you get baptized, and after you get, come part of the church, and after you begin to do those things, after a while, it gets hard to continually have that heart. It gets easy to just be judgmental and critical of everything else around you. And oh boy, are we in a critical society. We're good at it, right? You go see a movie, let's check Rotten Tomatoes. Let's see what the critics say, right? Go to a restaurant, how many stars? Buy an app, how many, what's the rating? We're really good. We've all, and it's fun, right? You ever watch like those cooking shows and they had those judges who are like, I can't taste the lemon. And you're like, oh no, I forgot the lemon. They're going to be kicked out, right? Or, the, or chopped, you know, like you're chopped, you're gone. Like those cooking shows are really fun because it's like those judges. Everyone wants to be the judge. Like, oh, I want to be a judge. I want to, I want to judge people, right? I want to judge the lemon. Where's the lemon, right? Is the sweetness coming through? How about the saltiness, right? It's, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's easy to be a judge. It's hard to be judged, right? It's hard to be those guys. It's hard to put the lemon in there and go, I hope this works, right? Like this is, we all want to be the judge. It's hard to be judged. And so I think we try to do both. We try to say, everyone can be a critic. Everyone can voice their opinion. But you can't ever talk to me about what I need to change. And if you do, I'm cutting you off because you're unhealthy. I'm cutting you off because it's not safe for me. I'm cutting you off because it bothers me. So we surround ourselves with yes men, with sycophants. We get more and more critical and we wonder what's wrong. Well, Jesus says we all got logs sticking out of our eyeballs. <laughs> it's, you think, about how, think about how ridiculous that would be for a second. That would be really funny, right? Like if someone had... It'd be like if you had a giant like mustard stain on your shirt, like just all across. And I was like, maybe no one at church will notice. If I just pretend that it's not there, I think I can get through. And maybe I can, but it doesn't mean that you don't notice. And then maybe, maybe um, someone's giving a seminar on like, um, maybe uh, Rachel's doing a seminar on, on cleaning, cleaning clothes and cleaning shirts. And I'm like, I want to say something. You know, you'd be like, no, not the mustard guy. You know, like, look, he obviously can't do it. You know, like. There's this ridiculous thing about, like, you have a log in your head. Focus on that. You must become an expert on your own sin. You must become an expert. No one should know your sin better than you. No one should know your sin better than you. And by the way, Jesus does not say, don't judge the guy with the speck. He says, no, 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 go judge him after you get that log issue taken care of. He's not saying no judgment. No, no, no. We are, Jesus judges people all the stinking time. Paul says it is, for the, it is for the church to judge. And we will. We've been given, whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Jesus says, if the church decides it in the here and now, I got your back up there. I'm going to back you up in heaven. The church has authority. Man, it bothers some of you. The church has authority to do these things. But it only is an authority derived from the, from the humble expert witness of our own conscience. I cannot judge others until I first take care of the own issues in my heart. It's a tough thing. It's a tough thing, right? It's a difficult thing. At some point, you'll begin to notice other sins more than your own. As the gospel makes clear, the statement, do not judge, Jesus had in mind, does not mean making a judgment, uh, or sorry, is rather not making a judgment, but it's making a judgment that caused someone to cut themselves off or be ceased to be reached out to. So Jesus is saying, listen, don't judge somebody so that they're gone. You're not kicking them out. You're not. Jesus says you never, ever, ever let the love end on your side. Jesus says you never burn a bridge. 
And even in the rarest of occasions are we told to burn any bridges by Paul in, in the New Testament. Judgment is not cutting somebody off, right? Judgment, it simply means to assess, right. to assess. Right. And we all desperately need that, don't we? Someone to say, hey, brother, I've noticed this, I've noticed that. But you know, you know how those conversations go really, really well? If the other person has already taken a look at their own heart and is open to being wrong and is open to getting help themselves and has already spent 20 hours for every one hour they might spend on somebody else's sin on their own heart. Those conversations go really, really, really well. But I think the issue is that we don't actually spend time on our hearts. So then we either feel insecure or inadequate to help somebody else. And then that means we feel like, oh, I can't help anybody. So then you pull back. Everyone pulls back. There's no discipling. And when there's no discipling, man, church is just a matter of time before churches die. Because there has to be a digging deep that Jesus talks about later. Continue on. Oh, Jesus also talks about the blind leading the blind. Right? You know, this guy says, follow me. And everyone's like, our leader, our hero. And they just fall off the cliff there. The blind leading the blind. Jesus says, you know, it's important to have good leaders. You know what kind of leaders you want? The ones that live out what I just said. The ones that love their enemies. No, but this one has a really great worship band. The leaders that are really good speakers. Nope. The leaders that are charismatic. No. Right? The leaders that I get along with. Nope. The leaders that love their enemies and the leaders that exercise non-judgmental generosity. Those are the ones that have my backing. Those are the ones that are not blind. Those are the leaders that will lead you. And those are the ones you must follow. That's the kind of leadership Jesus craves. And so when we say, I can't help anybody, I'm not equipped, we're operating under a worldly paradigm. I can't lead because I'm not strong or successful or smart. Luckily, Jesus does not ask you to be any of those things. He asks you to be humble. Anyone can lead. You know, when we first got here to the church, we actually had an open invitation for Bible talk leaders. We said, literally, if you just want, if you're willing to learn, show up. We'll give you a, we'll give you a Bible talk. <laughs> just show up, willing to learn. And there were people there who I never, who 20 years, you know, Charlotta and um, Brian Riston were here in the church for 20 years. I don't, I don't believe ever led a, a Bible family group. They showed up to that meeting. Oh, they were wonderful. They were great. They were fa- just incredible family group leaders. And they actually went off to be part of a church planting in Akron, Ohio a few years ago. Right? Took their talents to Akron, as it were. But, but what, what is it about Brian and Charlotte? Well, they're just great people. No. No, they, they were humble. They were willing to be wrong. They were willing to get help. You know, Jay Adams, the guy I mentioned earlier, says, Being willing to get help is the greatest quality of being a disciple. And let me tell you, I'd rather have, this is what he says, I'd rather have a saloon on every corner of America rather than a liberal church. Because at least at a saloon, when you're drinking your paycheck away and, 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 you know, having sex with anybody and, and, and just being greedy and materialistic and addicted to substances, at least then you're in a, you're in a better place to see that you need Jesus than some liberal Christian who's like, I'll only do what I want. I'll, you know, Jesus is fine. I'll, I'll kind of go along with the bare minimum. And I'll only do the commands of Jesus that I find attractive. And by the way, don't tell me what to do. Don't disciple me. Don't help me because I've been around. And I know a thing or two. 
And if you try to help me, I'll just come back at you with more Bible trivia knowledge. Or I'll come back at you with some sin that you've done and why you can't. Where do you get off talking to me? And, and have you ever lived my life? Wait till you put my shoes on. Then you don't talk to me until you put my shoes on. So don't anyone talk to me. I'm going to live in my quiet pride. The rest. That is a much more dangerous place. Yeah. A much more dangerous place. That's why Jesus says that the prostitutes are closer to heaven, closer to the kingdom than the Pharisees. What's he saying? He's saying they're open to getting help. You are not. That's a challenging, a challenging, a challenging command from Jesus. You know, uh, the explanatory connective here in the text uh, is often dropped in translations. But what it implies is that there should be a self-corrective nature to people and that they should be very careful whom they follow, because such choices also reflect the nature of the tree that is in that person. Right. What is he saying? If you, if you like a church that has great entertainment or like leaders that are very charismatic, it means that in your heart, you crave those things. You, you prioritize the entertain, entertaining things. You prioritize the things that are pleasing to the eye. You prioritize the things that are easy and comfortable. That's what that says. Jesus is saying it says something about your heart. And so change the heart first. And be, he says, change the heart first and you'll actually be a good tree. You know, Jesus says, if you treat people with generosity, then they'll treat you with generosity. And more than anything, even if they don't, God will actually treat you with generosity. And oh boy, that sentence gets me excited. God will treat you with generosity. Like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Because if he was going to be strict on me, oh goodness, like there is so much material there. But it says that God presses down what he's going to give you. Then he shakes it together. Then he puts more on top so it overflows. This is the heart that God has. And this is the heart that we should have toward each other. Not a critical heart that just puts down or demeans or is focusing on somebody else. But a heart that turns that microscope inward. And is, it is so generous to others that someone else could make a thousand mistakes. And we're going to be non-judgmental and still generous with them. Does it mean we don't talk to them when they're in sin? No, because that's actually love to talk to somebody to help them. But sometimes criticism is not necessarily to help somebody else. It's just for uh, revenge for ourselves. Criticism is always good if it comes from a place of I want to help the other person. Think about Matthew 18. When somebody sins, bring it to them out of concern for them. That's always great. But if you're being critical because you want to get a little bit of a punch back or this is your, or, or just bothered you or you've got to really search your heart before you before you go bring that to somebody. Because it can be really devastating. And it, it's, it's actually not good for our hearts to to feed that side of our of our nature. Let's see. You know, one of the things that we think we think we think that this is kind of life that we as people interact with each other. When I talk to Tiffany, that's simply what's happening. I'm talking to Tiffany. But what we don't realize is that when we talk, we actually bring our relationships with God into it. No interaction socially anywhere in the whole world is without God. And so if I come in with a relationship with God where I haven't focused on my sin in quite some time, right? I've been just filling my heart with 
with podcasts and TV shows that cuss and talk about uh, coarse things. And all my time is spent toward violent actions and vengeful ideas and people that are angry. And I, I bring that to my relationship with Tiffany. What do you think is going to come out of me? Is it science? Is it a miracle? <laughs> no, you know it's coming out of me. Maybe I'm tempted to cuss. Maybe I'm tempted to lose my temper. Maybe I'm tempted to be critical about that thing I heard it was critical. I bring that with me. And it, it affects Tiffany. Now, luckily, her relationship with God is incredible. So she can treat me with, with generosity. But maybe she's concerned about me. So she says, Drew, concerned about you. You've been talking a lot about this thing, this social thing. And you, just, you never really talk about Jesus. Concerned. How are you doing, brother? How's your relationship with Jesus? And I go, oh, it's been so rough. I'm so afraid. I'm nervous. Thank you, Tiffany. She, so she helps. She brings that with me. And so when we bring that, that relationship with God with us, we can actually be what we were always meant to be. And that's what I want to close out with here is a final thought. Anybody want that rotten fruit? Pretty, pretty rotten. You know, Jesus says, listen, Jesus is going to drop some knowledge. Hey, listen, bad trees are bad and good trees are good. Like, that sounds obvious. Uh, maybe I should, you know, double back on that one. But Jesus is being, he's being a little cheeky. He's being a little funny. But he says, hey, listen, don't expect a rotten tree to bear good apples. Don't be surprised. What's he saying? He's saying, don't focus on bearing fruit. Focus on being a good tree. The good fruit will come. Focus on that connection. Get the water, get the sunlight, be healthy. I bet you, you share your faith. I bet you, you're generous. I bet you, you're non-judgmental. I bet you, you give more than you thought you ever would. When you're connected with God and you bring that relationship with you. Imagine if we all just had those actually hanging from us, like those these beams of light and it would be small or thin based on how well you were doing. No, I'm just kidding. That would be pretty, pretty nuts, but... We bring that with us, right? And Jesus cares about motives. The world doesn't. Jesus does. Jesus cares. That's why he throws that word heart in there. Overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? You've got to take a look at your heart. And it's not just an individual thing. Some of the best times I've had recently are, are times, and in my life, are times with other people when they've shared things they've learned or they've had to bring my sin to me. There was probably like two months in college where I got that dreaded sentence at church. Maybe you've had it before, but hey, bro, can I talk to you for a second? And almost always from like the same two people, um, but, you know, we're actually friends to this day, those people, we joke about it now. We're like, wow, we're actually much closer friends and I think it was probably because of those discussions. But yeah, you know, She'd say, hey, can we, uh, can we talk for a second? You know, and you clamp up. Like, oh, no, what did I do? But, but I, I'm not mad at her for those. You know, in the moment, it was hard. But I'm so grateful that she said those things because if she didn't, guess who's bringing, it, bringing those things with them to Charlottesville? Yours truly. So her action not only was a kindness to me, it was a kindness to you. Because I get to see, I can't treat people like that. I can't be sarcastic and critical in my joking. I can't, I can't put people down for my own you know, selfish sense of comedic humor or whatever. 
I can't do that. It's not okay to do that. And I appreciate her for doing that. We've got to speak up to each other. Cool thing here. Jesus uses two different Greek words for the digging. He says, one dug a house. The other dug deep. You ever dug a hole? It's not that hard. You ever dug a deep hole? It's hard. <laughs> You're sweating. You need help, right? You're drenched, right? It's not just, oh, hey, I'm a Christian. That was easy, right? Like, we got to dig deep, right? Dig deeper. And it's going to, digging deeper holes takes longer. It's okay. It's okay if it takes longer for, for this, this stubborn sin to go away. It's okay if it takes longer for someone in your life to be baptized because you've been reaching out to them. It's okay. Big holes, deep holes, take some time. The question is, is are we open to getting, to getting help, right? And praise God for this. Therefore, as, as the elect of God, this is Colossians 3, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If someone happens to have a complaint, I love that. It's like happens to. Everyone always has complaints. If someone happens, I don't know, let me just, random thought, like sometime way in the future of someone in some church somewhere happens to have a complaint. Lost my spot. got too excited. If someone happens to have a complaint against anyone else, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also forgive others. And to all these virtues add love, which is the perfect bond. Let the peace of Christ be in control in your heart. For you were in fact called as one body to this peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all with the grace in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. An encouraging thought to close out with. We're all playing a role. We're all following some director. But it's always encouraging when you play the role you were born to play. You know, there's, there's I love, the, I love the, movie, the movie Lincoln with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. I watched it like 50 times. And every critic, if you read, talk about critics, right? Every critic is like, this is the role he was born to play. It just works. You know what's great about us is that we're not, we're, not, we're not destined to be evil and trying to be transformed to be good. In Genesis 1, God said, let us make humankind in our own image, after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over all the creatures. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We're not evil trying to get trying to become good. We've always we're always meant to be good. But we have to get back to the role that we were always born to play. We were meant to treat each other kindly. We were meant to forgive. There was all of that in the Garden of Eden. We were meant to be pure. We were meant to treat each other with generosity. We were meant to give, give, give until we couldn't give anymore. We were meant to be patient. We've simply forgotten. Because we eat, 
drink, sleep, and breathe so much from the world and so much from Satan. We begin to play a different role. And you know it's not the right role because you feel it in your bones. You know it's not what you're supposed to be doing. I pray that we can get back to the role we were always meant to play and to find the right, the right leader, not the blind, but Jesus. Right. To follow Jesus into humility. Follow Jesus into submission. Follow Jesus into generosity. And the only way that we screw this up, the only way that we mess this up, is if we think we don't need help. Let's go ahead and close out with a prayer. And let's go ahead and take a Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next time.